0: Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. We are just a day away from the August primary elections here in Detroit, elections that will have a lot of implications for the city's future. There are nine candidates who are challenging Mayor Mike Duggan's re-election bid And today we're going to talk with two of them about why they want to be the next leader here in the city of Detroit. We'll also talk to them about what they see happening in the city that tells them something needs to change in terms of what leadership we have. We're not going to be able to talk with all of those candidates before the primary on this show, but the WDET news team has done a really comprehensive job reaching out to all of the candidates and covering this race. You should absolutely Go check out all of our coverage of this and other races. You can find it at WDET.org slash vote. A little later in the hour, we're going to hear from former Detroit Deputy Mayor Anthony Adams. But first, Tom Barrow is a business and financial consultant who has run multiple campaigns for mayor in the past. He joins me now to talk about his 2021 bid for mayor and why he hopes City voters will select him. Tom Barrow, welcome to Detroit Today.
1: Hi, good morning, Stephen. It's a, it's really nice to talk to you, man. <laughs> it's great to
0: talk to you as well. It's been a while. It's been a while.
1: <laughs> it has, man. And, and, you know, I listen up virtually every day and uh, to my whole... Uh, WDET family there over in Cass, and and this is just uh, I'm I'm delighted. I'm just delighted.
0: No, it's great to have you here. So I'm going to start with uh, the question I ask all candidates when they throw their hat into the ring. Tell me why you want to be the mayor of the city of Detroit.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, look at Stephen and, and those who are listening. You know, it's um, I, I'm I'm uh, not an unknown uh, commodity here. They know that I've run before, and I didn't quit. Um, I, I see clearly, and, and I saw this coming uh, years ago, uh, there's two Detroits now, and I saw this coming. I've always been a proponent of the quality of life in our neighborhoods, uh, and now we have a downtown which is, uh, is loved uh, by uh, the corporate structure and, and so on and so forth, and then we have the neighborhoods where life actually exists and which, in my view, is, is, uh, has been neglected. Uh, folks who know me know that I was born right here in Detroit over at the Oakwood Kerwood Negro Hospital. there mm-hmm. over on Uh, John R. there, and he's Kirby. And my uncle, Joe Lewis uh, Barrow, the world heavyweight champion, was there at the time I was born, and uh, he paid for my being born, and my doctor was his fight doctor who delivered me. So I have his name. (laughs) Uh, That's where my Joe comes from in Mm -hmm. my name, Tom Mm -hmm. Joe Barrow. uh, But I also have his DNA, and I fight. Uh, I don't give up. Uh, I, I won't go through the recount thing because I think you know how I feel about that, Stephen. I know what I think I saw. Uh, and But I know also that Detroit, we've got to change leadership. We've got to change it. Uh, our city is, is bursting with, uh, busting with uh, potential. Uh, we have a whole new energy coming into Detroit. And that new energy demands that we have to look at Detroit in a much more progressive uh, kind of way. And I have a view that's different from virtually every candidate who's running. Mm Stephen, and and for those who are listening. Uh, Because of my training and background uh, in terms of finance and and accounting and that sort of thing, having built a very large CPA firm, uh, I know that, uh, and and appointed by the United States bankruptcy courts, I know that the bankruptcy was contrived. And I also know that conservatives have taken every black city in Michigan, every single one, without exception, busted its unions, privatized its services, uh, took pensioners' pensions, and, and the city's jewels and assets. And, and I happen to believe that um, because of what they did here in Detroit, it's going to take a strong, real Detroiter, uh, somebody who would not let them misuse us like this. And so I've got plans. I'm going to reimagine things. Uh, my energy level is, is just super high. I want to bring in young folks into the governmental process. Uh, I don't sling around a bunch of numbers and things of that sort because people aren't going to relate to any of that. And I know the significance and importance of even Proposal P. So hopefully we'll get into that and, mm-hmm. and we'll have a chance to discuss some of my views and some of my ideas. Yeah.
0: So so this is the fifth time you've run for mayor. And uh, the first yeah, time yeah, yeah, was that in is. 1985
1: uh, against That's When Mignon. I was just a
0: little guy. And for reference for our listeners, uh, you were my neighbor. Then I was a little kid over on Wood Circle, <laughs> and uh, I do remember that. <laughs> I do remember. It. I remember that You're campaign. Um, so you were a piker too, man. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. So, so tell me, five times running for mayor, what's different this time? What 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 would convince voters this time to select you that didn't convince them those other times?
1: See, and and I and I really truly understand that that the perception. But I know when we did the recount against Dave, being the public doesn't know, all 44,000 of the absentees were thrown out, couldn't be recounted because the seals in the cases had been changed. It was kept quiet. Uh, I also know that what I saw when I ran against uh, Mr. Duggan, uh, where the handwriting expert said uh, 43% of those, a handwriting expert certified, 43% were in the same handwriting. So I know what I saw. So I, I also know that the quality of life in Detroit, and what I fought for when you were a little piker and I was a little political piker hasn't changed. My view back then was the quality of life in neighborhoods versus downtown. And all of it's come to fruition. Even now, the state of Michigan and the federal government and even local government knows that our election process is, uh, is quite uh, of suspicious. And now people are stepping in. Uh, so it's different this time. And I truly believe that Detroiters who know me and know my, my fight know that I stay in this battle no matter what happens, uh, knows that I will, I will make a tremendous a paradigm change that will change the quality of life in our neighborhoods as well as continue to develop downtown, but in a whole different kind of way yeah. in terms of merging those two, uh, those two separate cities.
0: So let's talk about what your ideas are for being mayor here in Detroit. Give us just the, the, the sort of top-line highlights about yeah. what a Barrow administration would yeah. focus on and do.
1: Yeah, first thing, I, I think, and I, don't want, I want to make sure it's not unclear to anybody, I'm going to take back uh, many of these assets that they took from us during the bankruptcy, and I won't get into that unless you ask me specifically about that. But, you know, look, when you when you close a school in a neighborhood, um, uh, Stephen, you kill a neighborhood. Uh, when you close a library, you kill a neighborhood. Uh, and I also recognize, because I am from Detroit, a real Detroit, or born and raised here, I also recognize uh, that many of our young people suffer from low self-esteem. So I'm going to change the paradigm. For example, these, some of these school structures are extremely well-built and very strong, and they're built for instruction. So I'm going to open back up some of them. We have this COVID uh, relief money, this uh, Recovery Act money. Uh, I'm going to use some of that money to open back up some of these schools, turn them into training centers uh, for, for, for some of these skilled trades like plumbing and heating and mm-hmm. cooling and electrical and printing and and all of those kinds of things that you can earn good livings for. But also in the process of retrofitting those schools, I'm going to create the jobs that Detroiters will get the jobs. And these are great construction jobs. Right now, Detroiters aren't getting those jobs. If you look around the city, you see very few black faces, Stephen, uh, doing these high Uh, high-paying jobs. And I want to change that. Uh, In terms of the the libraries that are closed, I'm going to open back up some of these things in the neighborhoods. And I'm going to turn them into computing centers uh, where people will have access to the internet. 47% of Detroit doesn't have access to the internet, if you can believe it, in this day and age. I'm really technical in that area. And I've stayed current throughout all these years. And I'm going to let these computer centers be manned by little geeks, little neighborhood geeks. Put (laughs) Swimming pools, swimming holes, what I call a swimming hole, back when I was a little guy, it was really big. You could go swimming right in your neighborhood. Uh, and, and, you know, you go to the 4 o'clock period, and, you know, they would scrub your little arm or little, your, your, your wrist to see if you had any dirt on you uh, and let you go swimming and the like. Quality of life. Now we're swimming in our basements from, from sewer backup. That never happened before when we were in control of the Detroit Water Department. So there's a lot of changes uh, right up through policing and all, I, you know, we can get into it. However, you decide, but uh, there's a lot of changes we've got to make to change the quality of life, and mm. I relate to Detroiters. So, I so
0: relate. you've spent a lot of time in the campaign drawing distinctions between. You and the current mayor, um, Mike Duggan, which I think is important for the the fall campaign. If you're if you end up uh, yeah. in in that in that contest, but but I wanted to have you spend just a little time talking about yeah. what separates you from the other challengers to Mike Duggan, and and in particular Anthony Adams, who was uh, the deputy mayor here uh, a while back, and who, who who seems to be the other candidate who who's most likely, I guess, uh, to to, to be a a, a challenge to you getting into the the general election. What is, in your mind, is the reason to select you over these other eight? uh, Yeah, I mean, that's a good
1: question. That's a very fair question. Uh, I'm I'm like night and day with the rest of them. Uh, First, uh, let me say, I never endorsed Duggan. I've never campaigned for Duggan. Mm -hmm. I think it's clear, and I I think if the question is asked, uh, the very first name you saw in the endorsers and the people who backed Duggan his last time around was uh, the, the challenger you just mentioned. Secondly, my positions are pretty starkly different. I want my Belle Isle back. I want my water department back. I want my art institute back. I want my eastern market back. I want my Detroit Historical Museum back. I want my Detroit Windsor Tunnel back. I want all these assets that they wrongfully and immorally took from Detroit. I know a phony bankruptcy when I see one, having been appointed as trustee on multiple bankruptcies. No one else has got that background. I'm pretty direct and outspoken that I'm going to take back my bell Isle and some of these assets that were so wrongfully taken. I'm going to avoid, I'm going to close the land bank. No one's going to tell you that. Only a real Detroiter who knows what Detroiters are feeling every single day will make those commitments. And so for our DET listeners uh, and and my fellow brothers and sisters there uh, uh, on DET, yes, I want all of Detroit. There's a big difference in me uh, having grown and raised here and, and never having left here. I didn't live in Troy and just moved back two years ago. I didn't do that. I stayed right here on the Lower East Side. And here's the other difference. I know that no city would allow their mayor to live in another city while being its mayor. People ask me, how do you know that the mayor doesn't live here? He lives in the Mnougin. He doesn't, Stephen. I live next door to the Mnougin. So I know what it is. So if I get past the primary, and I'm hopeful that Detroiters will see the difference between me as a real Detroiter, somebody who cares, and somebody who parachutes in, we've got to stop that. Mm-hmm. We just have to stop it. That's that's the difference. So
0: so you said a number of things there that I want to drill down on a bit. You, you talked about uh, taking back the water department. You talked about yeah. uh, t- taking back Belle Isle, for instance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the The practical end of those things, I think is is kind of interesting to consider how you you might do that. Yeah. but but beyond that, one of the reasons that uh, that that Detroit uh, doesn't have complete control over those things is about money itself and revenue. Uh, talk about where you think the revenue would come from to maintain those assets in the way that uh, would best serve Detroiters. That was the reason that many of those things ended up uh, being either shared uh, with, with, with other communities or in the case of Belle Isle, it's the state that now leases it um, for, uh, I guess, 99 years or something. But, but, but what makes you believe that yeah. there is money in the city budget to be able to, to maintain those assets better than we have in the past?
1: Yeah, that's a good question, Steve. Uh, Steven, uh, you know, Bell Belle Isle has always been clean. Uh, When Republicans or conservatives want to take something, they first have to devalue it. Uh, We've always maintained Belle Isle. Uh, Part of their devaluation process was to pretend and make it seem as if somehow or another we weren't maintaining it. But at the time they did it, they cut off our money so that the conservatives could then turn around and buy it and get it for virtually nothing. The contract, the lease agreement, requires them to do certain things, Stephen, Mm -hmm. that they're not doing. And whenever a lease is violated and breached, uh, then the lessor has the ability to then void that lease. Uh, the resources are there. They've always been there. Uh, now, particularly with the COVID uh, recovery money, almost uh, uh, $900 million coming in, not $826, but not almost $900 million coming in, we have more than ample resources. But I'm not opposed, quite frankly, and I did propose back in 2012, if those will look at my website, they'll see it, uh, a way to be able to have Isle becoming self-functioning. But I don't believe Detroiters have to pay to do that. Folks who want to come in, just like in Gross Point and other cities, if you want to come into this great park, I think it's a jewel for everybody. Geez, I want everybody to participate in it. Uh, but, you know, I, I think we can do that. I think Detroiters can run their own uh, institutions. The water department, we never had these backups. It's because of all these private contractors, people who don't have the management skills and experience to run the department. All of the people who were the capable managers, who never allowed backups in your basement, never allowed sewage uh, to run down your street and so on and so forth, have been put out as a result of this privatization. And the money has always been there. They always say that raise that money thing as if it's some kind of a big something that people can't see, throw around big numbers, numbers that nobody can relate to, when in fact those numbers are contrived, they're made up. Uh, I've done it firsthand. I understand financial statements. I understand audits. I understand comprehensive reports on the annual reports. I'm a different kind of a Detroiter. So,
0: So, So I want Detroit to know that. So on Belle Isle specifically, it wasn't the state that said the city couldn't afford Belle Isle. It was the city who said that. It was Mayor Bing. It was... Uh, the person who was running parts of Parks and Recs at the time who said, look, we, we can't even manage the mowing on Belle Isle with the resources that we have because it's so big it takes it takes almost a week to mow the whole the whole island. I mean the the, the, the money that that wasn't there or that that, that they said wasn't there uh, was assessed by the city itself and they reached out to the state and said, hey, if you took it and leased it from us, it would make things better for us. Do you not believe that that was the case?
1: That's a good that's question. you got good questions here, man. Part, you know, Look at Bing. The absentees couldn't be recounted. They needed Bing. Bing was inept. They knew that. He then appoints his Republican friends and buddies who then in the, the, in the recreation department says the company line. Detroiters, have they weren't Republicans. That, the, the, oh, they, the, that person is were, still
0: there. He's not a Republican.
1: He absolutely is, as was Dave Bing. They're All these closet folks are running. But let's just put that aside for a moment. Part of the devaluation process was to shut down and hold back our revenue sharing, our state of Michigan revenue sharing and right. our federal revenue sharing, which goes up and then comes back down. And as a result of that, Belle Isle always maintained, because, of course, I, I, I go there every single day, and I saw and knew the city workers who maintained it. If you're over there on a Friday morning and a Friday afternoon before people come and use the island, it's pristine. It was always pristine. They had to devalue that, make it seem that way. Detroiters don't need to be don't be fooled by that anymore. Now, it's going to be entirely different. We can control our own resources and our own, own assets. That's why these conservatives took every black city in Michigan. Stephen, I mean, I really hate to sound you know, extreme like that. But every city from Benton Harbor to to Muskegon, Muskegon Heights, Ecorse, Highland Park, Pontiac, Flint, uh, Inkster, every one of them. You go down, they took them in the same kind of way as you're describing there because they make it appear that way. Belle Isle has always been a pristine park that we've maintained. Mm -hmm. Now it's closed. It closes at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They're backed up all the way to Woodward.
0: Yeah. So, right. So I, I want to also uh, we're going to run out of time, and of yeah. course we could talk for hours. I know that, but uh, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I mean, want to. Anybody who knows me, you do. That's <laughs> right. Who we knows could me. go back and forth forever. Yeah. But but I I I want to get your thoughts on proposal P, which of course is also on the ballot tomorrow. Uh, th- there's a pretty significant difference of opinion out here about what it would do. And uh, whether it should be adopted, uh, I, I know that you support Proposal P, but but the, the question I have for you is whether you worry uh, about if if you were the mayor of the city of Detroit, uh, there are things that Proposal P would kind of take and and dictate to you as uh, as the executive here in Detroit. I mean, it, it, one way to look at it is that it takes away some of uh, the policy discretion that the mayor and the council have—not that that's necessarily a bad thing—but I, I wonder, as somebody who wants to be mayor, wh- whether you think that makes that makes sense. I mean, uh, whether whether you're willing to give that up. I guess uh, that the, the kind of policy discretion that that the mayor and council have now.
1: Yeah, you know, Stephen, I, I proposal P, and, and you asked me a minute ago about the difference between me and some of these others. I don't think any other candidate, in fact, I know no other candidate running for mayor can say that they actually uh, wrote or participated in the process other than they'll claim they went to, vaguely claim they went to a meeting or something. But Mm -hmm. in fact, I wrote, I literally wrote the section on elections in the city clerk's office. Mm -hmm. I wrote it. I submitted it. I went to all the committee meetings. I went to all the subcommittee meetings. I participated. I watched the vote. I urged the vote and so on and so forth. So I, as a real Detroiter, somebody who lives here, I've participated. No one's going to be able to say that. I've looked at the items that are in there that people are, are concerned about. I see nothing that would denude the mayor. I see what I do see is some advisory councils being created uh, that are really unpaid positions. Mm-hmm. I see some uh, uh, some some uh, commissions that are created to, dis, uh, to, to share and discuss reparations and some of the other kinds of things, it's not going to bankrupt Detroit. That's just them throwing out these wild claims. It, heck, even we went bankrupt under the current charter, mm-hmm. if you believe the bankruptcy. So, no, I, I'm, I'm supportive of Proposal P because I think it was done and created by regular Detroiters, and it's not favoring the corporate community because that's who's been running and choosing our leadership for too long, which is why we have two Detroits we got to stop that. we got to get away from it, Stephen. So, I, no, I, I truly understand the concern, but I think it's a false, um, I think it's a false flag uh, okay. belief that uh, it's not going to be that.
0: So, So, quickly, last question. If you are not one of the top two finishers tomorrow, uh, I wonder who you would support in the fall, assuming that, that the mayor is one of the two. Would you support one of the other eight candidates uh, who's challenging him?
1: Let me tell you what I won't do. And I've never done it. And only one guy has done it, from I can tell, from all the candidates who are running. I will not back Michael Duggan. That's for sure. And I will not campaign for Michael Duggan, and and this other guy that that'll come on actually did all that. So that's horrible. I, I'll never do that. And and so uh, when we see who the uh, the remaining people are. Uh, and if it's uh, if they have the same values and understand things in the same manner in which I understand things, then I think they can count on how Tom Barrel will react to them. Uh, I've been there. I don't make these pre-agreements, uh, Stephen. I did that with Irma Henderson and John Conyers and mm-hmm. Charlie Costa, mm-hmm. where I met in a room with them, and they all agreed to back whoever wins. They never expected me to win the '89 campaign, and when I won, they all reneged.
0: I remember so, that.
1: Uh, that yeah. yeah, and so that was always disturbing to me, and. And I'll never do that pre uh, uh, thing in advance and, and say I'm going to get behind and So um, I, I don't I don't subscribe to that anymore. Uh, I'm not going to get burned like that again.
0: Okay, Tom Barrow, mayoral candidate here in the city of Detroit. Uh, <laughs> always great to talk with you. Thanks, Steve, so it's much. It's really
1: for me. cool, man. I like I enjoy you and I enjoy V E T. So yeah. all of you guys out there, tomorrow's the day. You got to get out and vote. They don't expect Detroiters to turn out, but absolutely. Uh, but we're going to be there. We
0: thanks, need Steve, people I to appreciate turn out. It, man. Yeah. Thanks, Tom. Alrighty. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk with another Detroiter who hopes to thwart Mike Duggan's bid for a third term. Detroit mayoral candidate and former deputy mayor Anthony Adams joins us next. Stay with us for more Detroit Today.
1: Bringing you news that matters.
0: Stories that impact your life.
1: Music from the Motor City and
2: around the world. This is
1: 1019 WDET,
2: Detroit's NPR station.
0: You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining Anthony Adams is the former deputy mayor of the city of Detroit, and he's also one of nine candidates who hopes to keep current mayor Mike Duggan from winning a third term. He joins me now to talk about his campaign for mayor and the change he hopes to bring to the city of Detroit. Anthony Adams, welcome to Detroit Today.
2: Thank you for having me uh, on your show.
0: So, uh, let's start with the question I ask all candidates first. Why do you want to be the mayor of the city of Detroit?
2: Um, The people uh, in the neighborhoods outside uh, of downtown uh, are desperately calling for a change in direction. Uh, There's a belief and a feeling that they've been left out of what people term the renaissance uh, of Detroit, they believe that they have not gotten the resources, uh, whether it's access to affordable housing dollars, rehab dollars, um, city services. They simply haven't gotten those, and they feel disconnected from city government. So they need someone who's connected with the community, who understands how government operates and has the skill set and ability necessary to deliver the types of goods and services that they believe that they are entitled to. Hmm.
0: So this is a narrative that has played out a long time in the city of Detroit, this question of which areas are benefiting from all the exciting new investment and opportunity that's cropping up uh, in Detroit, and yet Detroiters have twice elected Mike Duggan uh, to to lead the city, uh, despite that narrative. Why do you think that's true? Why, if... If this administration is not focused on the needs of Detroiters in neighborhoods other than downtown and midtown, do so many of the people in those neighborhoods continue to support uh, the current mayor?
2: Well, I think we've got to really break down what you're saying. In the first election, it really wasn't a question of downtown versus the community. It was a question of new leadership uh, in the city of Detroit. And he was able to win the election, some say a disputed election, but nevertheless, uh, he is—he was the mayor. And so people did have a chance to reevaluate uh, his performance in his second race. In the second race against Coleman Young, uh, quite frankly, it was a very lackluster uh, campaign um, because you really weren't able to frame, I think, the issue in a manner that people could clearly understand how the impact of the policies are playing out on the neighborhoods. Now we have an extensive track record to examine uh, to show to people and demonstrate to people that the policies of what's being done is not in their benefit. When you tell me that I've given corporations billions of dollars in tax benefits, and uh, tax mm-hmm. captures, when I've taken money away from our Detroit public schools, our Detroit libraries, when the income levels of Detroiters have dropped over the last eight years, when the city went from a predominantly homeowner class to a predominantly renter class, when minority contractors are is at an all-time low, I think there's some things that need to be discussed. And on top of that, when you talk about resources being devoted to the neighborhoods, you have a clear dichotomy between the new Detroit, the people who move here, versus the old Detroit, the people who've been here in the absence of programs that are designed to actually help people who live in this city, who've lived in this city, uh, restore their homes. Mm. And so when yeah. I travel the neighborhoods and I look at people's houses and I see bad roofs, bad siding, bad painting, collapsed front porches, and then next to them is someone who just moves into the neighborhood who's gotten uh, affordable housing dollars. I believe that the dichotomy is much more apparent than it probably was uh, in his second run for office.
0: So, Tell me what an Anthony Adams administration would do differently.
2: What well, are the what thing, are the
0: specific things that you would you would change?
2: Yeah, well, let me let me just start by uh, neighborhood stabilization. Um, we've got to keep people in their homes. The West Bright removal strategy is to not have another house go no vacant. Mm -hmm. And to that end, we've got to devote our resources and put our affordable housing dollars not in mixed leverage income projects in downtown, but we've got to actually give the dollars to the people in the neighborhoods who need the whole launch of their home. The things that I talked about, siding, roofing, front porches, things of that nature, people need to get that. And then when you talk with our seniors, there's some infrastructure needs. They need new furnaces. They need new air conditioners. We have to help our people stay in their homes. The second thing you'll see is, is I will, by executive order, not be referring any more homes to the Wayne County Treasurer for tax foreclosure. I believe the tax foreclosure has had a negative impact on our neighborhoods by taking homes from people who've owned them for years and turning them into a renter class. So that's That's got to stop. The third thing you will see is an effort at real community policing. When we talk about dealing with the issue of crime in our community, it's always we need more police, we need more police, we need more resources. Well, if that was the case, we wouldn't have a crime problem because we spent more than $3 billion over the last eight years in policing ourselves. I believe that dollars now need to be spent in proactive programs programs that are designed to outreach our at-risk men and women, to get them into training programs much more aggressively than what they're doing, to provide them perhaps with an income supplement, because if I'm telling you not to engage in a life of crime, i got to provide you with the income necessary to bridge you to a productive citizenship. And so, and then you also talk about community access and engagement. There is a complete lack of community engagement uh, in in neighborhood development. We see it in the battles uh, in, in the North End. We see it in the battles in Virginia Park. We've seen a brewing battle now over around Cooley High School where the community mm-hmm. literally is kept in the dark until the developer shows up with his project, and they're saying, you need to take this because this is what's best for your neighborhood. People aren't engaged in this process, and so they're they're fighting back because they believe the government is not being responsive to their needs.
0: I'm talking with Anthony Adams, a former deputy mayor of the city of Detroit, who is now running to be mayor of the city of Detroit. He's one of nine candidates challenging Mayor Mike Duggan on the August 3rd ballot. So there are eight other people uh, hoping to replace uh, Mayor Duggan, it's a lot of folks in uh, in this race, and I think one of the one of the troubles uh, during the campaign has been uh, getting somebody who who kind of sort of stands out more from from the others. I mean, I think the, the campaigns have struggled to define uh, the, this as a as an either or, but really the big either or, I guess, is. Uh, Mayor Duggan versus everyone else in some sense. So if Duggan makes it to the November runoff, and perhaps you don't, would you support whoever ends up challenging him out of this field yeah, of candidates? Absolutely. Or you, you absolutely. feel that strongly about it?
2: Well, we, we already have in place a pledge by by the candidates who are running uh, to join the victors' campaign to work to unseat um, Mayor Mike Duggan. That, that pledge is already in place because everybody who's running it's amazing that you would have all these people running first and foremost Mm -hmm. (laughs) excuse me but secondly that they would step up and agree to support the person who becomes the victor because we all are hearing the same things and the places that we are 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 hanging uh, we're not hearing the the love fest that uh, he gets quite frankly you know from the media you know, when the people talk about defining yourself as a candidate, I think I've been probably one of the more vocal um candidates out there. When there was the make-your-date scandal pronouncement by the Attorney General that he had been, quote, cleared, even though anyone else who had deleted 150 emails and steered money to their girlfriend uh, would have been lamb-blasted, uh, I was the candidate out there who said that was a level of hypocrisy that, quite frankly, that astonishes me. And then there's this seemingly this cheerleader effect is what I call it uh, from the media, uh, which constantly fawns over everything that occurs. But when there's something bad that happens, the media says nothing. And so this debacle with the flooding, um, with the Great Lakes Water Authority and the city not accepting responsibility, uh, the fact that crime is out of control and yet we don't really hear anything about it. Uh, when you talk about missing um African-American women in this city, you hear absolutely nothing about it. When you talk about the number of children that have been killed on the streets of Detroit, but you hear nothing about it, and people keep saying that things are great, well, you have to wonder about how the media is really being fair in this whole process to the people that are actually out there trying to promote their message.
0: So, uh, I wonder what you think about proposal P, which is another one of the questions that Detroiters will face on August 3rd on the primary ballot. It would really significantly alter the city's charter. Uh it would it would I I think to, the the fairest way uh, to describe it is that it would advocate uh in the charter for some really progressive uh, policy ends. Uh, some people think the charter is not the place to do that. Uh, other people have said that it it uh, it, it promises uh, policy outcomes that would cost a lot of money without identifying yeah, well, yeah. sources well, of a, revenue that's a, that's a, for it. But, but I, I, I wonder what you point. make of it.
2: Well, I mean, that, that, you know, the last part of your, your, your statement was a talking point for those that are uh, anti pete Quite frankly, the charter is an aspirational document which sets up, I think, very specific goals on how a city should govern itself. The city should have uh, an affordable housing policy, which seeks to stem the, the loss of homes through tax foreclosure and inability of people to get resources and dollars to fix their homes. The city should have an affordable water policy, recognizing that we all are in different situations and we've got to be able to structure programs so that we can provide water, which is a human right. Uh, we should have a, 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 a policy uh, which deals with, with immigrant rights. Uh, there's nothing that's contrary to uh, state law that says that a city charter can't accomplish those goals. So my position is, I'm, I'm quite frankly, I'm, I'm for proposal P. I think it's an aspirational document, and it gives you the opportunity to work through whatever things you need to work through in order to keep this matter uh, within the city's framework and budget. You see, I find it amazing, again, that after having not participated in one session at all, and you had more than 400 organizations throughout the city that participated in the drafting and the formation of this charter, that they would willy-nilly... Um, say oh it 's going to bankrupt the city which is a which is a scare tactic quite frankly it 's going to impact pensions. Well, pensions have already been taken from from city workers um, without any substance behind it, and then we find out through a study done by the Michigan State University that they really haven't they can 't even quantify uh what the fiscal impact would be, and so people run with their talking points without full and close examination. And it gets very frustrating for people who are out here on the ground who are trying to debate an issue. And then you get the political machinations with the governor weighing in when the Supreme Court had to turn around and reverse uh, Judge Kinney, who's I think been reversed three or four times on issues impacting the city, um, which Mayor Mike Duggan doesn't support. And so people are getting frustrated out here, and rightfully so. Hmm.
0: This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson and my guest is Anthony Adams, former deputy mayor of the city of Detroit and one of nine candidates who is challenging Mike Duggan on the August 3rd primary ballot here in the city of Detroit. Uh, so I, I, I want to ask you about the time that you served as deputy mayor in Detroit. That was uh, when Kwame Kilpatrick was our mayor. Of course, that administration ended in, in some controversy. Uh, all, the question I have for you is, as you talk to voters in the city, what do you tell those who might be reluctant to embrace someone whose most direct qualification is serving in city hall during those years.
2: That isn't my direct qualification. I think my background experience, quite frankly, uh, is far superior to any other candidate in this race. Mm-hmm. You're talking about a man who served as a federal law clerk to a federal district court judge and a Dix Taylor. You're talking about a guy uh, who, was a, who was a litigation associate in, in a silk stocking firm in the city of Detroit, talking about a man who served as executive assistant uh, to the mayor, Mayor Coleman Young. He's talking about a guy who was general counsel uh, to the Detroit Public Schools when it was a real district. He's talking about a guy who was an elected uh, official uh, for the Detroit Board of Education who served as his president uh, uh, during the uh, emergency mm-hmm. management where we led to successful fights to challenge that whole thing. Mm-hmm. So when you say that's my only qualification, don't didn't say... don't minimize... I
0: didn't say no. only. I said most no. direct qualification was that you were the deputy mayor of the city. I think I, I, I happen to think that's quite a qualification to be the mayor. It's it it's the most relevant experience you've had. Those other things that you've done, of course, are also really impressive. I mean, I, I've always thought quite a bit of the public service uh that you have provided for the city of Detroit, but your most direct qualification for this job is as deputy mayor, and so uh, I'd love to know how you present that to voters who might not think so fondly of the way that administration ended.
2: Well, I think the way I present it is that there's nothing that I have to hide. My track record of how I performed in the administration, quite frankly, is is, is impeccable. Um, when When you have the level of scrutiny uh, that that the administration underwent, and you have an individual who was never implicated in anything associated with any wrongdoing. Uh, I think that speaks for itself with respect to my integrity and the and the things that I managed during that process, whether it was budget negotiations with city council, whether it was the threat of bankruptcy, uh, whether it was managing uh, the homeless uh, response for the Super Bowl whether it was dealing with regional water issues where we stopped suburban control uh, of that district, I think people see, once they talk with me, they understand that I'm a solid guy with a solid background who's always been committed to the work in this community. People who want to hold that against me, they're going to hold it against me. I'm not trying to convince them. Otherwise, my record and my integrity speaks for itself, and they have to gauge me uh, with the current acts of the current mayor uh, whose reputation um, Is quite checkered, quite hmm. frankly
0: Okay, uh, Anthony Adams Candidate for mayor of the city of Detroit On the August 3rd primary ballot uh, It was great to have you here with us on Detroit Today And uh, good luck to you in the uh, few I days you it. left yeah.
2: Thank you very much
0: We're going to take a quick break And when we come back We're going to hear from Detroit City Clerk Candidate Beverly Kendall Walker Stay with us for more Detroit Today